are on the line. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Happy Tuesday, everybody. Lance, how's your Tuesday going, my man? Well, now that Notre Dame has officially been eliminated from the College World Series, I'm about as happy as I can be, Noah. When it got to 11-7 and there was still time, because it was a lot worse than that, when they had battled back like five runs at that point, I said, oh, here we go. And then, of course, they didn't score another run after that. But congratulations to Mississippi State. Glad the SEC is representing in Omaha. Three teams seemed like the least that would get in. You always felt like that there was really potential for more. Upwards of five SEC teams could have made it. I didn't think that that was likely. But it was possible that even four teams could have gotten in when we were discussing our bracket. What I thought would happen, three teams did make it. Interchange mississippi state for arkansas and that's where i actually stand that's where i messed that up i said arkansas would move on and mississippi state would go down which if you look at predictions it made more sense to predict an upset for mississippi state than it did for arkansas but still that's your sec crew right there vanderbilt mississippi state and tennessee yeah, and as as far as the, the, the two brackets are concerned, in bracket one, we essentially have the red bracket, and in bracket two, we have your favorite <laughs> bracket, the orange bracket. That's you, right. If you, if you like orange and red, you probably had a really good time in the Super Regional moving into Omaha. Big fan of teams that wear orange. I mean, you can name any team. Any team that wears orange, I probably like them, or at least I favor them. That would be my flow chart. Do you have <laughs> – it would start at the top. It would say, do you – have orange in your color wheel and if you do advance typically and as far as my uh my flow chart goes i mean it's got to be right sometime i'm glad that the mississippi state win finally uh benefited my flow chart i have to amend mine though it would say do you wear orange and then in parentheses except for virginia except for virginia <laughs> so what i'm gathering is is you will not be picking virginia to move on i don't think they win a game in omaha and Ooh. most of that centers on what they've got going on at the plate. They have not been the best offensive team in the world through the NCAA baseball tournament. They've gotten to this point on pitching alone. They were in a relatively weak regional to open it up when they were playing against Old Dominion and South Carolina. And I can't even remember who the fourth team was in that regional. What was it, like Jacksonville or something like that? Anybody remember? It doesn't matter. They didn't play in the strongest regional in the world, and they weren't faced with great hitting so their pitching was able to get them through the regional and then they get to a super regional and they're playing a three seed which I thought that Dallas Baptist was under and I thought once again that they were going to Omaha and they played a good three seed but still the competition that they faced they have not had to take on a top tier team in college baseball up until this point and now they're going to have to play some teams that can actually hit the baseball and that'll be Tennessee, and Tennessee can hit the baseball. And so I think they go immediately into the loser's bracket, and then if you're asking me if they beat Texas or Mississippi State, they're losing to both of those teams too. Virginia is not 
going to win a game in Omaha. But on top of that, look at this Omaha bracket. Virginia, if Virginia and NC State are your Cinderella teams making it to Omaha, this is a loaded field in Nebraska. And we could potentially see, based on my flow chart, an all-SEC national title series. We could see Vanderbilt and Tennessee taking on each other. Wouldn't that be funny if the it two teams from Tennessee... It wouldn't be the first time it's happened. Yeah, it, wouldn't that be so fun, though, if two, the two teams from Tennessee made it to the national title series? That would be that would be really entertaining. Burn it down, man, and then maybe what, what does that add to football? Probably nothing, because those two teams <laughs> not that great at football right now. Let's transition over to talking a little Auburn football, though, some recruiting tidbits. It's something that I want to point out there. This was via an article from Jeffrey Lee early today. He was writing about four-star tight end Micah Riley Ducker, the number 15 tight end in the country according to Rivals, a top three player in the state of Nebraska. Apparently he had a solid visit at Auburn over the weekend, seemed to really enjoy himself. A pass-catching tight end, I think this could be huge for Auburn when you look at his height and weight is at six foot six 235 pounds that's a tight end that can move which tells me that's probably a tight end that can catch the football this could be a huge recruit for Brian Harson if he were to land him because it is a good player a four-star people won't be complaining about that first of all but it's a good player that fits the new scheme and this tight end room right now we don't really know what it can do in the passing game to this point because we just haven't seen it yet. But I'm not super high up on all of these tight ends on the roster at the moment in terms of their pass catching ability, route running, general mobility. I don't know if they're the complete package as a pass catching tight end because Auburn just didn't recruit that. So this would be a solid get from that perspective. It's a good player that helps craft the new system, which the new system definitely is focused on utilizing the tight end, which is something that has evolved in college football over the years. Despite some depth at the position, I think the guy can get on the field relatively quickly because of his scheme fit and his skill set. But something that was said, a quote from Riley Ducker over the weekend, he said that the players right now on the Auburn roster that he went and talked to, he said that they like the new playbook more than Malzahn's. Which is interesting because the, there were some Auburn uh, players on last year's roster that they said the, they liked the Chad Morris scheme, and we kind of saw how that turned out. So at this every point, new offensive coordinator comes in, and the right. players are like, "This is a brand new offense." Oh wow, look at this! This isn't a controversial statement, but I think the way that you put it, it is interesting. I think it is interesting. You have to, even though we've seen in the past, whenever t- players say this, it's like, well. How legitimate is that statement? But I think you do have to be able to take into consideration this being a legitimate statement because it's a completely different style of offense. It's changing from that spread kind of look that Malzahn ran where it would be RPOs and play action and throwing the ball deep downfield after hitting you with a run 20 times. It's it's hitting you with a run 20 times and going play action, but it's not the same way. It's it's not that it's not that option. It's the it's the inside and outside zone that's just a, a direct handoff. We're going to beat you at the line of scrimmage. We're going to we're going to put a, a hat on a hat and we're going to run the ball down your throat. Those Georgia offenses under my Mike Bobo really, really worked, and I'd love to see a guy like Michael Riley Duckard, Ducker get into this style of offense because he could be a beast at 6'6", 235. Of course, I agree with you. Auburn's got some talent on their roster as far as physicality goes at the tight end position, but they're losing John Samuel Schenker this year, and then they'll have Deal, from and Frazier, and Frazier's six foot seven. We haven't really seen the pass-catching ability out of him. Granted, he was a freshman last year, and he was used sparingly, and he only had, I think it was one catch in the Citrus Bowl. I might be wrong on that. But 
Auburn needs at that tight end position somebody that they can sub in that isn't just a hulk that can block. They need somebody that can actually catch a ball. And you could see somebody like Michael Riley Ducker get involved in this new style of offense. We've talked on the show before about how this offense is transitioning and this coaching staff understands you can't just bring in a new scheme and implement it right away and make these these players on the roster adjust immediately because they were not recruited to play in that scheme. you got to be able to slowly adjust it over time. And I think this is a guy you can go out and get that slowly adjust that scheme over time that that will be really beneficial moving forward number to call 334-321-1390 what do you think about what's going on in the recruiting trail right now whatever's on your mind in the sports world we'll talk to you 334-321-1390 still discussing this tight end position at Auburn and some of these recruits coming in Riley Ducker he's deciding right now between Iowa Iowa State Illinois and Auburn and when you put those four teams into a vacuum You'd think that Auburn would be the favorite of those four teams. Right. But one of those teams is not from a certain geographical region in the country, which is Auburn. Auburn is not a Midwest team. There seems to be this Midwest flair for the guy from Nebraska, which is only a state over from Iowa and Iowa State, which Iowa State's program should be an attractive location for many tight ends if you were just to watch their game and see what they do schematically on the offensive side of the ball definitely would favor a tight end such as Micah Riley Ducker also their recent results and what Matt Campbell has to be selling these recruits right now on the program it seems like players really like playing for him and really believe in his vision in Ames Iowa then you look at Iowa and that's been one of that's been a top half program in the Big Ten I don't want to say one of the better because they haven't ever been able to really get over the hump the one time they make a Big Ten title game, they play Michigan State and they lose. So I look at these Big Ten and Big 12 teams that are mixed in there with Auburn, and you have to take into account what this guy may be favoring. It seems like he's wanting to get onto the field early. It also talks about his fit. Does fit mean location? Does fit mean culture? Does fit mean culture of the location that he's going to? What does this mean? And I'm trying to wonder... And this made me thinking about this this had me thinking about a larger issue in Auburn's recruiting plan right now. How likely do we think it is for Auburn to go out and get some of these recruits that they're trying to land from Oregon, Nebraska, New York? We've talked about a national recruiting search for Auburn. Auburn is vastly different from a cultural standpoint from any other region in the country outside of the Southeast. Vastly different. And I wonder if Auburn's recruiting pitches to these guys is going to work because of that substantial difference. Are they going to be able to convince a dude to move halfway across the country to an area that is vastly different from a cultural standpoint than the Midwest or the Pacific West Coast or the Atlantic Northeast? I think that's a really good point, and I vo- vo- voiced my concern about that on this show before. Is you know Auburn's Auburn's going out, and I think they're doing the right thing. They can't they can't win the state this early. They've got to be able to go outside of it and get some guys to come in and prove that Auburn can recruit outside of the state in order to get some of these guys in state moving forward. But I've said I don't expect Auburn to, to get these guys to put pencil to paper immediately, but they've got to be able to get some commitments moving down the line here in the next couple of months. And I'm going to need to see that in order to put my full faith in this coaching staff. And I think that's a really good point. I think that's a good question to ask. Can this coaching staff get some of these guys from Oregon, Nebraska, New York? It, 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 they're, they're going out and they're 
they're going and they're they're looking at these really really talented recruits all across the country and they're good guys to look at they're good guys to bring on campus it's just the question of whether or not they'll be able to actually convince them to come and play for the Tigers I would I would I would say that Iowa, out of all of these schools that uh, that Michael Riley Ducker is considering, would probably be the best for me, in my opinion, simply because it's tight end you. It, it it's uh it, it they're definitely the best as far as like churning out tight end prospects and and taking them to the NFL. Look at guys like George Kittle, Dallas Clark. TJ Hawkinson, Brandon Myers. You look at Iowa this season; they're returning receiver as a tight end, like their 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 highest production as far as re- their receiver room goes. And you look at Auburn; they're actually you look at their receiver room. the The guy that has the most yards and catches that comes back is a tight end, and John Samuel Schenker, because they lost everybody in that receiver room. I'm not saying, oh, look, Auburn used the tight end position. I'm saying that they need to use it more in the future in order to get some production spread out. Because once you lose your receivers, you got nobody. You got to be able to have a a safety valve that comes back the next season and a tight end so Auburn needs a guy like this they need to be able to go out and recruit across the country but I think it is a really good question of poise can they actually do that because they haven't gotten a commitment yet and I'm not saying that they should have by this point it's just that they haven't you got to give them a couple more months and then my concerns will start to really amp up on the other side of this break, we're going to break down Auburn's recruiting strategy right now. Can they land some of these guys? We'll continue to talk about Michael Riley Ducker. Also, we'll break down 24-7 sports blue chip ratio and what that means in the, in the landscape of college football for 2021. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama, as well as you can watch the show on Facebook on Radio Alabama Sports' Facebook page. Keep up with all of the content the show is putting out on RadioAlabamaSports.net and on the Radio Alabama Sports Facebook page. Follow it on Twitter as well at Radio AL Sports. We got articles, we got news, we got podcasts, we got all the content on RadioAlabamaSports.net. Lance. You just had some news. Yeah, so I, I was just briefly scrolling through Twitter here over the break, and Adam Beasley of CBS Sports, he's Miami Herald's Dolphins reporter. He is uh, he has tweeted out the uh, some some interesting things. One of the things he noted just about an hour or so ago, the Miami Dolphins obviously in summer practice to a Tonga Vailoa has thrown seven interceptions in practice today. He later tweeted out and said that Tua settled down nicely since his earlier picks, has some solid, really solid intermediate throws. And then he asked Tua later, uh, what, what, what was, was he uncomfortable? What was the issue? And he said that emphasis, Tua said that the emphasis on throwing the ball downfield was in a tight windows, and that explains why he was throwing interceptions, as they were asking him to do things down the field that were really, really difficult. Check that. It was five for Tua, two for Brissett. Two for Brissett. Interesting, interesting. So seven across the top two quarterbacks for the Dolphins on the depth chart. But back to your point, a lot of it was trying to improve tight window throws, and that is going to explain that. I also think there was some, from what I've read, some unfortunate interceptions. Like one of them was off Mike Gesicki's hands, the tight end. It's like maybe it wasn't his fault, but still, that's a lot. Five versus seven, that still isn't any better. That's Two's Nathan, not good. That's Nathan Peterman levels of interceptions right there. <laughs> I forget about Nathan Peterman. I forget about him. And I'm sure a lot of Bills fans are trying to forget about him as well. 
Where is he at right now? Is he with the Raiders still? See, I say that, but that that's not true. Bills fans have moved on. They've got Josh Allen. They don't care anymore. They are riding high. They forgot about Nathan Peterman. Do you think Allen has a legitimate shot at MVP this season? I don't know. I don't know. He has not. For me, he has not. I, I, I don't know how much better he's going to get across his NFL career. He's a... He's an enigma for me in the NFL because he he's kind of reckless at times, and that and reckless not just from a decision making standpoint in terms of throwing the football, but he takes a lot of hits because he's prone to run the ball. Which I love that I love a gritty quarterback. I love a guy who's going to lay it all on the line. But it's something to be said about taking a slide and protecting yourself and having longevity in the NFL. He's an enigma for me. I wonder how much better he can get. The jury is still out on Allen for me in the NFL because from what we've seen on him already, I don't know if it's enough to take the Bills to take the Bills past where they've been at already, which has just been good enough for what, 11, 12 wins in the AFC East every year. And it's been while the Patriots are down, the Dolphins are, yes, a little bit better, but still, once again, the Patriots are down. That's the main point. And then the Jets are horrible. So you, you're, you've been doing it in a down AFC East. You have to expect the Patriots to get better again one day, right? Right. Do we, do we put any stock into Bill Belichick whatsoever? I would assume that the Patriots will get better again. And then the Dolphins are a borderline playoff team at the moment, a team that barely missed out on the playoffs last year. So... It, there's a bunch of that there's the bills who are a good football team not great good football team though you've got the patriots who are above average did a lot this offseason to possibly become a good football team again and then you've got the dolphins who are good but sometimes they're, they're not always good during the season the dolphins are another team that are that are an enigma for me because the dolphins are stake all of their hopes on defense and the offense was so hit or miss last year that when the offense didn't show up I could see the Dolphins losing to any team in the NFL but from a defensive standpoint they were always going to be in a football game it felt like so I it's a more competitive AFC East but does that mean that it's a better AFC East right now right right well if you if you can if you go for a combined 51 touchdowns and you and you take your team to a 13 and 3 record I can't I can't see you improving much past that and if you don't win MVP in that season I can't see you winning an MVP ever unless unless miraculously you win your like you you take your team to a Super Bowl of course you just made a really good point Miami and New England are going to continue to get better and the Jets it's literally they got to go up. They got to get better. There's, they can't get worse than where they're at right now. So I think you made that's a fantastic statement. It's more competitive, but is it going to be better? And are the Bills going to benefit from that come playoff time? And will Josh Allen ever have an MVP caliber season in a more competitive AFC East? I'm not sure. You make a great point when you say the Jets can only go up. The Bills, I think, can only go down. I don't know if the Bills can actually improve off of what they've done to this point. Also, don't think Josh Allen is going to produce seasons that just stun us with his numbers, right? right? MVPs stun us with their numbers, and their teams do something. Typically, if they don't just absolutely stun us with their numbers, 
and sometimes both of these things occur, they stun us with what they do statistically, and then they also do something with their team in terms of results on their schedule that nobody expected before the year. Right. I don't think Josh Allen is going to fit that category. That doesn't mean that he's not a good quarterback. He's a good quarterback. But I don't think he is going to woo us to win the MVP award. And I think he has to woo us to win the MVP award. He's just not a flashy player. Right. He, last season, 42 touchdowns, 11 interceptions. He had nine combined rushing touchdowns on the ground that was both in the regular and in the postseason. I mean, you put up those numbers, you go 13-3, and three and, you, and you still aren't even in consideration, like legitimate consideration for MVP comes years in, like, I agree with you. I, 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 don't, I don't see him doing better than that anytime soon. And the Bills aren't an overly flashy team either, right? They're, there's just you, When you think flashy teams or teams that woo us, the Bills just don't come to my mind. And I don't know if there's anything that they can do to change that. Well, offensively, And I don't think they should try to because off, it's winning. Offensively, they're fun to watch. But like overall, I agree with you. They're not like the, the 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 best team to watch. You look at their playoff games. It was a twenty-seven to twenty-four win against Indiana that they almost choked, and they, they had a seventeen to three win against Baltimore in the playoffs. That's not a flashy win. And then you look at the game against Kansas City, City thirty-eight to twenty-four. They were up early in that game, but you could tell it's like, oh well, it's they're not going to win this game. Kansas City City will eventually talent will win out, and it was it was not an impressive postseason in terms of flashiness. I agree with you there. Now, some quarterbacks have retired after this past season. We've lost Phillip Rivers. We've lost Drew Brees. Ben Roethlisberger's on his way out soon. Tom Brady can't have that much longer either. So some of these stalwarts and hallmarks in the NFL at the quarterback position are on their way out. But when I ask you the question, who are the best quarterbacks in the NFL who come to mind? Does Josh Allen come to mind for you? That honest question. I think he's top five, I would say. Top five, top ten, somewhere around there. I wouldn't say he's like the best. Whenever I think of the best quarterbacks, I think of Aaron Rodgers, Patrick Mahomes, Lamar Jackson, those type of Tom players. Brady. Tom Brady. Tom Brady is, is those Russell Wilson, that would be my, Russell Wilson. That'd be my top five. And then I'd have Allen somewhere six, seven, eight. I just have to really think about it. Can Josh Allen, being that far out, win an MVP no, down that list that's a good right that's, that's a really good point. it's like no. you still have to you and I still have to consider the fact that Patrick Mahomes and Russell Wilson both are still in this league for the considerable future of course Patrick Mahomes is here for a long time but then on top of that Russell Wilson still probably has like I said the considerable future in front of him at least five years right or somewhere around that total right right maybe more especially if he can continue to avoid injury at this point in his career and then you talk about whatever new hotshot quarterback comes into the NFL that continues to impress us. You know, what does Matthew Stafford in L.A. look like this year? I know he's not a new hotshot quarterback, but does that marriage take Matthew Stafford now to an unprecedented height for Matthew Stafford? And I, I don't think he's ever going to get into that category for top five, but just food for thought. Does Justin Herbert continue to develop like he is? Ooh, does, I think he will. Where does Trevor Lawrence fit into all of this? Right. Mac Jones, there are many other quarterbacks and even two in Josh Allen's own division that still have considerable upside to their names and Tua Tagovailoa in Miami and then Mac Jones in New England. There's just so many more young quarterbacks and then nobody knows what's going on with this Deshaun Watson stuff. But Deshaun Watson, before all this, I think if he was in a more favorable situation than Houston, he is a better quarterback than Josh Allen even Bo Nix who will get drafted by some <laughs> team in the first round a couple of years from now and will in NFL MVP in his rookie season 
That's funny. That's funny. I don't even know how we went down this rabbit trail. I don't either. I'll stop. <laughs> Let's go back to what we were talking about with Micah Riley Ducker, four-star tight end, number 15 tight end of the country, number three player, I believe, in the state of Nebraska, according to Rivals rankings. And you and I were discussing, just putting a bow on this conversation, you and I were discussing Auburn's recruiting strategy across the landscape of college football and how they're getting outside the Southeast to recruit these players. Do we think they can actually get these guys on campus? And I think Michael Riley Ducker is a player that I'm really watching closely right now, mainly because his decision is coming up soon after he finishes his visits. He's taking a visit to Illinois this week and then Iowa later this month. After that, the the decision will be imminent for Michael Riley Ducker my thing is, you look at his list of teams, Iowa, Iowa State, Illinois, Auburn. Auburn's the oddball out in that group, not because of talent alone. Of course, Auburn, you would think in terms of program prestige, is better than all of those schools, but they're also the oddball out in terms of geographical location and culture. And how does that weigh into Ducker's decision? Well, we'll find out when he makes his decision because, once again, Auburn's prestige is a program in football better than any of those schools. But what if... Ducker says, ah, I want to stay closer to home, and other players could make similar decisions to that. They may, Maybe they don't want to go halfway across the country to go and play at Auburn. And whenever you have tight end you at your doorstep, call and say, hey, come play for our program in Iowa, why would you Why would you toss it? Why would you give that up? I mean, I, I was talking about earlier. They put guys in the league. They put guys in the NFL. They have a consistent track record. Again, I mentioned it in the first segment. George Kittle, Dallas Clark, TJ Hawkinson, some really talented tight ends that have come out of Iowa have been put into the league and have sustained success. Why wouldn't you go at six foot six, two two eighty five, two or two thirty five? I'm sorry, uh, to to the to Iowa. Yeah, it's a big difference. It's a really really big difference. <laughs> uh, something else I want to point out real quick. I was looking at Auburn's top prospects on Auburn Undercover, and three of their top four targets are all out of state. Darius Clemens from from Oregon, uh, Toriano Pride, who's from Missouri, are, are the top two. So it, Auburn's going out. Auburn's looking at some of these guys out of state, and they're trying to get them to come to Auburn. But again, the question is: is can they actually get them to come? Why wouldn't they stay at home and go to a school that's regional? Go to a school that's a, a, a really prestigious athletic program and stay home. Auburn's got to be able to get some of these guys to put pencil to paper. And we haven't seen any of these players make decisions yet. That's why it's so right. hard to gauge whether or not exactly. it's working. You, you hear these guys say they had an amazing time. Every recruit's saying that. They step on campus and said, I love the people, I love the family. But still, we got to see if it actually works. And someone has not got that ball rolling. Going to have to keep our eyes on it for the upcoming weeks. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central, Alabama. Fun first 30 minutes of the show, talking a little recruiting, a little recruiting philosophy as well. We're going to head to our phone line now. we got Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us for our regular Tuesday interview. Justin, how you doing today, my man? I'm all right. How are y'all? Doing great. Are you enjoying the soccer? I, I, I'm sure you are. I see you tweeting about it all the time. I know I am. I'm sure you're enjoying the Euros. Yeah, absolutely. It's been it's been a lot of fun, you know, just having having it on in the background most of the day. Uh, it, it's it's going to be a fun month. It's, it'll help pass the time for sure between uh, now and media days, which I think is the next big thing on the calendar for for me. So yeah, I'm I'm, I'm enjoying having it around. Real quick though, before we get into Auburn stuff, is is the Gold Cup happening while we're at media days? 
that's a good question. I think it's around that point. So uh, yeah, time we'll see the U.S. And like, and the U.S. has me. You know, their their performance in the in the Nations League has, has gotten me gotten me back in. I, I kind of gave up on them after a while, but uh, they they were they're pretty fun. They're pretty fun right now. So I'm I'm looking forward to getting back into them. As most people did give up on the United States men's national soccer team over the last couple of years, but they are they're definitely getting more and more exciting. And something else that's exciting right now for Auburn folks is the recruiting trail. That's what everybody wants to talk about, and we've been talking about that on today's show, really recruiting philosophy. And I'm sure we've asked you about this last week in terms of Auburn recruiting nationally, but now I want to ask you, after seeing the first two, three weeks since the dead period was lifted, we look at a guy like Micah Riley Ducker, four-star tight end, and we see the teams that he's considering with Iowa, Illinois, Iowa State, and Auburn's the oddball out. And I'm sure it's that way for a lot of recruits, not just focusing on him, just a lot of the recruits. Auburn has to be the oddball out in some of these guys' top threes, top fours. And a lot of it has to do with geographical location and culture. Do we think Auburn's actually going to be able to get these guys on campus, or do you think that culture and geographical location really could be something that could hurt Auburn on the recruiting trail in this cycle? No, I think I think they're trying to make a statement with like, hey, this is who we are. This is this is the type of team we're going to be trying to run uh, here moving forward. And yeah, I mean, I think I think if you're Auburn and you look at what you're going up against, Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, you know, Clemson comes, Clemson, of course. Texas A&M and, and the Southeast has is, is got the most talent, um, but it's also the most competitive areas for talent. And I think one of the things that we're seeing from this coaching staff is they're going to try to kind of exploit a little bit of a market inefficiency here where it's like, all right, there are good football players that aren't necessarily in the Southeast and we can go, you know, try to get those guys and kind of pitch them on the fact that, Hey, you want to come play in the best conference in America. You want to come play the toughest teams in college football you want to come play in front of one of the most passionate fan bases uh come to Auburn you know and and I think that's one of those things where it's like if they find guys that fit and guys that you know uh really kind of identify with their culture yeah I mean early on they're they're taking advantage of the fact that you know they Boise State especially you had to kind of recruit nationally there's some other places that these guys have come from as assistants where you kind of have to recruit outside of your local area while the Southeast will always be the primary recruiting area for Auburn, and we've already seen them do some really good work in the local, in the in-state uh, you know, talent pools, um, I think what they're doing right now is seeing that, hey, we could go get some you know, blue-chip guys uh, from, from other states and say, you know, you might be from Pac-12 country, you might be on the western side of the Big Ten or in the Big 12, and it's like, hey, you want to come play in the SEC? You want to you want to uh, you know prove yourself against the best of the best, and see if they can snatch some of those guys there, and find a way that you know uh, find a way to, to get some guys that maybe they aren't, aren't on on these uh, you know other SEC powerhouses radars. Try to do things differently. I mean that's the whole pitch of the the Brian Harson experience for Auburn. Why they hired him is uh, how are you going to compete with teams that are going to recruit better than you year in and year out? We got to do things differently, and I think we're seeing some of that in the philosophy of their recruiting. Do you buy the notion that other regions in the country maybe don't produce as quality of talent as maybe the Southeast does between Alabama, Florida, and Georgia in terms of recruiting? Or do you maybe ascribe more to the side that if a guy can play, he can play? Yeah, if a kid can play, he can play. But there is a higher concentration of dudes from the Southeast to play. I mean, the amount of investment, I mean, that's why it was part of the reason why the state of Georgia is blowing up. But right now, Georgia – 
is like up there. I, Georgia might have even passed California here recently for like blue chip prospects in the last few years, and it's crazy to think because of the population difference. But I mean, the amount of investment in Georgia high school football and the coaches and you know how many how many people want to go there, um, I, I think has made a, made a pretty big difference. But yeah, I mean, good. You know, you'll find players uh, from anywhere, and and and. You know, there might be less of them out on the West Coast. Um, there might be less of them in those great plain states. Uh, but good guys can be found pretty much anywhere. I think of, you know, Alabama has made a living going into uh, the West Coast now and picking the best guys uh, to bring them in there. Clemson, of course, you know, got DJ Uyangalele, uh from the West Coast, but also uh, Isaiah Simmons is from Kansas. Um, so, I mean, they've, they've been able to find and identify guys that fit their style and fit their scheme. And in the case of Alabama, they go out and try to get the best of the best, no matter where they are. Um, that you know, yeah, you're, you're most of the time you're going to get your guys from the southeast because you know that's where a higher concentration of really good football talent is. But we've already seen the staff, you know, reach out to the northeast, uh, guys in New York, Philadelphia, the New Jersey, that that kind of area. Uh, we've seen them kind of reach out into into the into the midwest and, and then of course the west coast as well where um you know there are really good football players out there that might want to do something uh besides you know playing the pac-12 or you know play on the western side of the big 10 we saw earlier today or yesterday that is auburn landed in the top 11 of 24 7 sports blue chip ratio rankings how close do you think auburn is to competing for a national championship right now that maybe kind of project the trajectory of the program going into next season as well considering that these blue chip rankings serve to suggest that there's a a select group of teams that can truly win a national championship yeah Auburn's got the talent to compete for a national championship right now in a vacuum right and we know that this doesn't happen necessarily in a vacuum because you know 11th in recruiting talent uh, in the blue chip ratio means also fifth in the SEC, you know, fifth or sixth in the SEC. And, and that's who you're having to play against, you know. It's like the whole thing with the with the college football playoff um, expansion. If Auburn was in the Pac-12, you know, they're a much stronger national title contender. If Auburn played Clemson's schedule, they're a much tougher you know, national title contender and so on and so forth. So I think, you know, as a whole, and we see this when Auburn goes and beats teams like Oregon and Washington, and, you know, they'll have a shot to beat Penn State um, you know, this season and this next home and home for the next couple of years, you know, Auburn is more talented than the vast majority of college programs, the vast majority of power five programs. They are among the best of the best in terms of talent, but they are not among the best of the best in the sec in that. So it's interesting. I think, like I said earlier with the, with the Harson hire, you, you bring him in to do some things differently, whether it's the way that you call plays, the way you run your offense, defenses the way you develop talent the way you build your program and build your identity and just say hey we know that we're not going to out recruit alabama and georgia and we're hardly ever going to out recruit lsu or texas a&m uh, in, in florida sometimes so what do you do to make up that difference and i think the harson hire is you know develop uh and and play your way and play your style and see where the chips fall from there problem is that's going to take some time so if you ask me you know, Auburn's probably, you know, a couple years away from really being able to get it. Because I think, I think there's just going to be a learning curve into how to run the, the offense this way, how to how to play defense the way they want to do it. 
and just continuing to build up some spots. Like the you know offensive line recruiting has been really rough for Auburn in the last few years. They're going to have to rebuild that. They're going to have to get better talent up front moving forward. Um, so I mean, there's some there's some problem areas they got to work through, and that's going to take some time. But you know, in a vacuum, they've got enough talent to win a, win a championship, and compete for it. Um, but I think outside of you know your quarterback running wild one season and really becoming like this just extraordinary player, kind of like how Nick Marshall's kind of changed everything for Auburn with Trey Mason and those guys in 2013, it's going to be hard to see this team competing for a championship. So it's going to take some time. It's going to, it's going to be a process. And obviously there's been a lot of talk recently about the college football playoff expansion, and we're obviously going to be hearing more news about that as the summer rolls on. But my question to you is, is it, are you for or against this expansion? Is it fair to some of these top teams in college football? And how long would it take Auburn to actually get into a 12-team playoff? Do you think this new field would make it easier for Harson to get Auburn in the national title picture? Yeah, it would definitely be easier. I mean, because now you're saying you have to, you don't have to win the SEC or be a very, very, very close second in the SEC to make it to the playoff, right? You you would have to be one of the top three or four most seasons if you go back and look at it, um, because of those at-large bids. That's an easier task for Auburn. I think that's a task that Auburn can accomplish. I think that's that's what Auburn can do. Now, of course, you want to be able to beat Georgia and beat Alabama win the SEC and be the best because that's that's what you're pushing for. But an expanded playoff system, if you just want a shot and you want to be playing your best ball at the end of the year and Auburn can create more chaos than any other team in the country, um, this is going to be an easier way to get in there. So I, I think it's a good system, I think. For, I mean, we were getting to the point where, you know, full credit to Alabama, Clemson, and Ohio State and those teams that have made themselves the best of the best in their conference – but we were getting to a point where it was just going to be constantly just the same teams playing for a national title every year. So expanding it is at least going to change it up a little bit. It's going to, going to throw in a little more, um, you know, a, a little more variety into the picture. And maybe those teams still are the only ones who are going to win a national championship in this new system. That could very well happen because of how well they recruit. The thing here is, though, if you're if you're Auburn, you know that you are a championship caliber team. Like we were saying, with the talent you have expanding it, uh, expanding the playoff will at least give you a chance for more of those teams that have that blue chip ratio to get in. Cause as it stands right now, four, uh, was, you know, kind of the sweet spot where really you were seeing the three or four teams that were clearly better than everybody else in college football, uh, kind of pulling away from everybody else. At least this way, there's going to be more chances to make it settle it on the field. How might this affect expectations at Auburn, right? I mean, that, that's been the, the grand question, it seems like, over the last decade, and especially during Malzahn's tenure, is about expectations, the, the hot seat on the planes. How does that change things? What, what, is the, what is the mark that you have to hit with this new 12-team playoff? Does it make it easier to meet those expectations? Because I get the feeling that some years, especially in 2019, folks left disgruntled in 2019, and Auburn was a top-12 football team in the country wouldn't have been in that playoff go ahead yeah yeah, no i I didn't mean to cut you off there but yeah i think i think you're absolutely right i think you know when you expand the definition of what is a successful season because so much in college football it's like okay it's playoff or bust for a lot of teams it's like okay you know only a small percentage of teams have ever made the playoff in a four-team format so i mean this is if that's how you're defining success you're gonna be unhappy very much and, and you know you can pay a lot of money and be a really good team and just not even be you know, there at that point. So expanding it, I think, is at least going to be one of those things where, you know, if you're Auburn, the expectations now are going to be, you know, you don't have to make the playoff every year. But you need to be making the playoff, you know, 
semi, like every, I would say something like maybe like every class you roll through, like every three or four years would be kind of like those things. Like, yeah, be one of the three or four best teams in the SEC, have a shot and make it. Because, you know, at Auburn, you know, it's pretty much been every, you know, few years under, um, you know, we, we saw it in, we saw it in 2010 and then 13 and then 17 and then close to it in 19, you know, every few years, even in the old system, you were close to competing for a championship. So I think that's still possible. I think it's just going to be a little bit more clearly defined because you're right. 2019 people will be upset about that year when, you know, on paper and in the numbers, it was like, no, this Auburn team was really, really good. They just didn't have an offense that was there yet. Um, so I think that's going to at least be easier for people to swallow some, some of the disappointments. Justin, I appreciate you joining us for today's edition of the show. Tell everybody where they can find all your great content. Yeah, AuburnObserver.com. Check it out there. Had a column up yesterday on that very subject about the college football playoffs. If you want to check that out, you can do that there. Um, if you want to read a uh, breakdown of Katie Johnson, now that he's signed, uh, that's unlocked for everybody to read at the Observer. Uh, but, yeah, for $6 a month, $60 a year, uh, you can – uh, you can sign up there and 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 get uh, everything I write in the podcast. We do send your email inbox. I uh, got got one coming up tomorrow, uh, a basketball one on Dylan Carwell, because uh, uh, really kind of diving into his numbers and what his role could be for the Tigers next season. Because I think he's going to be a very interesting piece uh, moving forward for Bruce Pearl. So check all that out, AuburnsEver.com. Justin, I appreciate it, my man. I hope you have a great afternoon and uh, have fun continuing to watch all the all the soccer to our hearts' pleasure. Yeah, absolutely, man. Y'all be good. I'll see you, buddy. That was Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer on the line with us for the Tuesday edition of the show, as he does every Tuesday. We'll be back to wrap up hour number one on the other side of this break. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Wrapping up hour number one here. Thank you to Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer for joining us in that previous segment talk Auburn recruiting with us some college football playoff expansion a lot of great tidbits there from Justin Ferguson be sure to go and check out the Auburn Observer as well as be sure if you missed that conversation to go and find it on the podcast wherever you get your podcast before we wrap up our number one here let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Could you build a Lego structure strong enough to withstand an earthquake? Find out which teams achieve the task on a new episode of Lego Masters on Fox at 7. Movie selections for tonight, Gone in 60 Seconds is on AMC at 7. Toss it back to 1989 with Disney's The Little Mermaid at 7 on Freeform. Everyone's favorite Transformer, Bumblebee, is on FX at 6.30. Over on Paramount at 6, you can catch Raiders of the Lost Ark. In live sports, one NBA game is on on TV with Game 5 of a tied series between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets at 7.30 on TNT. NHL playoff action, the New York Islanders took a close Game 1 against the Tampa Bay Lightning to go up 1-0 in the series. Game 2 of the Stanley Cup semifinal is in Tampa Bay at 7 on NBCSN. In the MLB, the Chicago Cubs are at the New York Mets at 6 on ESPN. The U.S. Tokyo Olympic trials continue with the Day 3 finals and swimming on NBC at 7. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. Wrapping up hour number one of the Tuesday edition of the show, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on the line. Dylan Lark behind the board for us. 
and head over to the ESPN 106.7 Twitter account. We continue along in our uniform bracket for the SEC, picking the best uniforms, according to our listenership, of course. Voting on Twitter at ESPN 106.7. We put up the new bracket for today. Semifinals rolling along. You have number one seed LSU against number two seed Auburn in the Western Division. And then in the Eastern Division, you have number one seed Florida against number two seed Tennessee. Auburn right now dominating LSU 96% to 4% and Florida right now up 75-25 on Tennessee. No bias here whatsoever. Nope. None. It's it, it's really hard though with 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 brackets like this to not have a subjective opinion and if you get a mass of, of people together that all have that same subjective opinion the poll is going to be skewed it's like there a lot of people will say like oh well, I really like Tennessee's gray uniforms and some people may say oh I really like what Florida did in 2013 or whatever whenever they played Texas A&M those Gator jerseys that were look terrible some people may actually like those it's just like with these with these uh uniforms it's hard to have like an objective best uniform because a lot of people have different opinions And I think that's what makes it fun, too. But I sat down and I thought hard about the LSU-Auburn matchup and about the Florida-Tennessee one because I favor all of these uniforms. These were some of my top seeds when we were averaging out seeds to make the bracket. This was my group right here. And I went Auburn over LSU mainly because I love the white uniforms that Auburn wears so much. Those are the best uniforms in the SEC for me. Some of the best uniforms in the entire country. More so than I like LSU's white uniforms. And then I compared the colors and I was like, well, when LSU wears purple versus when Auburn wears navy, I think I like Auburn's navy more. So I'm going to go with Auburn in this scenario. And LSU rarely wears an alternate uniform that is not the purple jerseys, right? They, right. they rarely wear a commemorative set which they didn't last year, but maybe they did two years ago. Uh, was it against Alabama that they did that? Dylan, do you do you remember? There was the uh, the uniform that like changed colors in the sunlight, wasn't it? it was I don't like, remember that one. It like turned. It was purple. It was like a. It wasn't chrome. But yeah, it was. It was, like, it was some kind of like chrome helmet where it was like it was it was a white jersey with like a purplish chrome helmet, right? Yeah, and then the sun it turned yellow, but it was really cool. It's pretty dope. They just don't wear the alternates enough, though, or they're commemoratives right. enough. Thanks, Dylan. They don't add those commemorative uni- uniforms enough for it to really weigh into my decision there. So I had Auburn beating LSU there. Narrow margins, but I do have Auburn beating LSU there. And then I look at Florida and Tennessee, and the tradition of Tennessee's uniforms, I like. I like the orange. I like their white uniforms. Tennessee is some of my favorite uniforms in the league. I tend to favor Tennessee a little bit. I don't totally understand the beef that there is between Auburn and Tennessee anywhere but on the basketball court and the only reason why I understand it on the basketball court is because of recent history with those Jared Harper teams and Bryce Brown and the run-ins that they had with those Tennessee teams with Admiral Schofield and 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 all those guys because that was a hotly contested rivalry but I'll get to that later but Florida has not had a uniform yet that I said that looked bad Tennessee smoky gray I do not like and that is why I voted for Florida I do not like the smoky gray uniforms and I know that we may have some differing opinions in this room but I I said to somebody that the other day like you know how wet cardboard tastes and feels that's the way that the Tennessee gray uniforms look that's accurate (laughs) that's how it that's how (laughs) that's good that's good 
That's it for hour number one of On the Line. Go and vote in that SEC uniform bracket on our ESPN Twitter account at ESPN1067. We'll be back for hour number two coming up in about three minutes. Live on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM in Birmingham and Sylacauga and in Auburn on ESPN 1067 or online on FoxSports983.com and ESPNAU.com. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. Join the show by calling in at 334-321-1390 or toll free at 888-382-7500. Hour number two of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Fun hour number one, if you missed any of it, including our conversation with Justin Ferguson of the Auburn Observer, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Follow ESPN 106.7 on Facebook and Twitter to keep up with the latest going on at the station. The Max Roundtable, On the Line, The Drive with Bill Cameron, Analysis, News and More, seven hours of local sports talk radio that's all on espn 106.7 find the website on espnau.com starting off hour number two here auburn lands in the top 11 of 24 7 sports blue chip ratio rankings and if you're not familiar with that once again you can go and find the article on 24 7 sports but according to 24 7 sports there's this blue chip ratio that how many guys have you recruited that are blue chippers and does more than half of your team account for blue chippers and you end up on this list of exclusive teams that are supposedly capable of winning a national championship and they've been doing this for several years now and in the 2021 edition Auburn's in a three-way tie at 11 but they are in the top 11 nonetheless recognized as a team that could win a national championship in 2021. But the question is, are, are they are they legitimately going to compete for that this season with the new head coach? Do you think that do you think Auburn's legitimately in the playoff hunt? And that's the exercise that I want to take with all of the SEC teams, actually. How far do we think, or how close, maybe is a better way to say it, how close are each of these SEC teams to winning a national championship in 2021? Alabama, Georgia, LSU, Florida, Texas AM, all five of those teams have a higher blue chip ratio than Auburn. Auburn is the last SEC team of six SEC teams to make it into the blue chip ratio list of squads that features Alabama, Georgia, Ohio State, Clemson, LSU, Oklahoma, Texas, Florida, Texas A&M, Michigan, Auburn, Oregon, Penn State, Notre Dame, Miami, and USC in that order. According to blue chip ratio, those are the only teams in the country that have above a 50% blue chip ratio. So I want to take a look at all of these SEC teams. We'll take as long as we need to. We'll discuss each of these teams. How close are they to winning a national championship in 2021? Of course, you've got a couple of clear-cut favorites in this group. So the discussion's really going to get fun when we branch out of those two clear-cut favorites. But on a scale of 1 to 5, 5 being the closest, 1 being the furthest away, I want you to rank these teams and why. I'm not going to go in the order of which so that we don't burn our contenders here right away. Actually, let's go ahead and do that. We'll start at the top. Alabama, I think both of us, of course, will say a five. They have the highest blue chip ratio in the country at 84%. Yeah, I would agree with you. I'd put a solid five there. I'd put a, I'd put a solid five. 
whenever you look at this blue chip ratio, something I want to point out really, really quick is the last three college football playoffs, and, and the, the 24-7 sports article says this, the last three college football playoffs has featured only teams with a positive blue chip ratio that year, and every national title winner of the past decade has been a, a blue chip ratio team like in the top like 15 as well. This is this this goes back to what we've been talking about as far as expansion expansion goes and whether or not these group of five or even these these teams that lose their conference uh, title games deserve to be in the college football playoff. And we can talk about that an, another day. But my point being only the best teams that recruit the best at the end of the day get to play the best for the title. And so we can talk about expansion and how legitimate these other teams are like at, at another date. But uh, teams like Alabama aren't going anywhere anytime soon. 84% blue chip ratio. That's absolutely insane. Uh, if they're not the favorite to win the national title this year, they are one of the favorites. But they've got some teams behind them that if they the quarterback situation is not figured out, could usurp them at that spot. I want to make a point here about Alabama real quick. You talk about the blue chip ratio and the recruiting. That's evidenced, right? But earlier this week, or, or, or it was late last week actually, you showed me that graphic that 24-7 Sports brought up as well that talked about five stars going to these teams and, and actually developing those five stars and those players getting drafted and those players getting drafted in the first round. And who was at the top of that list? It was Alabama. Right. Not only in terms of the amount of five stars they bring in, but also in developing those five stars, they were put, putting – one of the highest percentages, if not the highest percentages, off the top of my head, I can't remember if it was the highest, but it was one of the highest percentages in the country into the NFL draft and one of the highest percentages in the country in terms of getting them drafted in the first round. So when people try to say, well, it's going to end, it's got to end at some point, right? They're not going to win it every year. Why, why are you going off saying Alabama's going to win it this year? It's like, look, it's not just about the past track record. It's evidence in the facts that they recruit these guys and they develop these guys. I don't care. If this junior that's about to step in and play on the offensive line or defensive line or linebacker or wherever, kicker, whatever, I don't care if this guy has had limited snaps so far at Alabama. You know why? Because he was probably a five-star or a four-star, one of those two. I mean, you got a pretty good shot in saying that he was a five or a four-star, and Alabama has developed some of the highest percentage of those players to end up getting drafted. It hasn't mattered for the players before them. This Alabama team, despite the fact everything that they lost on the offensive side of the ball, is still very much present in the national championship discussion. I have gone on the record so far this summer, though, and said that I am not ready to say that these guys will win the national championship this year. That has not been an official prediction for me yet, and I'm not ready to say that. I'm going to get closer to, to football season before I make an official prediction still mulling these things over still thinking about still breaking it down everywhere else and it's still early but and you never know what offseason news comes out guys got to make it to football season still being able to play guys get in trouble all the time during the offseason you don't want to see you, you just don't know how these rosters change guys get hurt all that stuff changes I'm waiting until we get close to football season to know these rosters are somewhat healthy but the odds of teams repeating as national champions that does not change right like or better way for me to phrase that like Alabama and some of these other teams it's, it's been a rotation between Alabama and Clemson mainly and then LSU threw their hat in the ring Ohio State won the first one but the odds of these teams repeating it's been very difficult for them to do so right, right. so I think that the odds of Alabama repeating as a national champion that I, I would agree with somebody saying based on law of averages and what has happened over the last couple of years that probably won't happen but them repeating as SEC champion that has happened many times under Nick Saban. So I still think that they're very much so 
the playoff team out of the SEC based on all their talent. Of course, yes, they have a lot of offensive players leaving the program. They only returned three starters in that side of the ball. But guess what? Clemson's dealing with that same issue. They lost Trevor Lawrence. They lost Travis Etienne. They lost two wide receivers. They lose several offensive linemen. They're dealing with the same issue on that side of the ball. What Alabama and Clemson both have coming back is a defense. Clemson returning like nine starters. Alabama returning nine starters. Or it's Clemson's returning 10 starters on defense. Alabama returning nine. Two of the best defenses in the country last year. Alabama's nearing that elite category on defense, a place where I don't feel like they've been at the last two years under Pete Golding. But the way that they ended last year, they finished eighth in the country in scoring defense, or excuse me, 13th nationally in scoring defense at 19.4 points allowed per game. Alabama's as talented as ever, and give it a couple weeks for the offense to start gelling. And once the offense does gel, they're they're right back in. I think everybody's going to have a tough time with this team because what this team has that other Alabama teams have not had the last couple of years when they've struggled to win national championships before last season, the defense is now getting back to the elite category. I want to take a look at the 24-7 sports graphic that we talked about uh, a, a few days ago, talking about how schools have developed five stars since the 2008 class. You look at the amount of five stars that all of these teams have on this graphic. Alabama has 41 since 2008. The next closest program is Florida State at 30. They have 11 more five stars since 2008. You talk about the percentage of these guys that actually get drafted. Alabama puts 75.6 of their five stars in the league since 2008 at least. 48% of those guys were first-round draft picks. That's the most out of any of these teams on this graphic. They recruit, they produce, and they continue to do it over and over and over and over and over again. And it's hard to say until Saban's out the door, it's going to change. But it could get interesting this year because there are a couple of teams behind them that bring back production and have a really high blue chip ratio as well that could challenge them for that top spot. Namely, the second team in the country, or at least the second highest team in the country according to blue chip ratio, Georgia at 80%. Give them a number, 1-5-5 to five, five being the closest to competing for a national title, one being the, the furthest away. How close do you think Georgia is to competing this year for the national championship or to winning a national championship? I think you got to give them a 5 as well. It really all it, all it depends on is can you beat Clemson week 1 or could you beat Alabama in the SEC championship game? If, if Alabama makes it to the SEC championship game, we don't know what's going to happen. But if you can win your division, win the SEC title game, those are the two biggest games on your schedule. Outside of that, there's not a whole lot that you have to do other than just win games that you're favored in. You're going to be favored in the Auburn game. You're going to be favored against Florida. You're going to be favored against Tennessee. You might even be favored against Clemson, honestly, to start the season. I don't know what the lines are. I think are, they should be. Look. They should be because of the production they bring back and the fact that they have a really talented quarterback in JT Daniels. If anybody's going to beat Alabama this year and make it to the title game in the college football playoff, I think it's Georgia. I'd give them a five. They're right up there. I'm going to say four, and history is holding me back on this. If it was any other team, I would say that they are just as close as you're saying. You talk about the roster. This is the most talented offense that Kirby Smart has had at Georgia when you look at the skill positions. He's got his best quarterback he's ever had at JT Daniels, at least in terms of potential, arm ability, all that good stuff. JT Daniels is the best quarterback that Kirby Smart has had. Not talking about also the wealth of riches that he has at his skill positions between Kyrus Jackson, Jermaine Burton, Darnell Washington, Eric Gilbert, all as pass catchers, and then out of the backfield, Zamir White and James Cook. 
So I just named six guys right there that are all lethal and could put up game-sealing touchdowns. Like any, You could go to any of these guys to ice a game, to make a big play, to win a football game, especially early in the season against a team like Georgia. They all have experience. They've all been in the program for three, four years, aside from JT Daniels, but he's been in college football for three, four years. He's been playing the quarterback position in college for three, four years. So Georgia, as far as talent is concerned on offense, yes, they're right there. Defense, you expect them to reload because they've been doing it, and Kirby Smart's his his special sauce in college football, the thing that you know Kirby Smart for, is defense, right? But what, they only returned three starters on that side of the ball, relatively young. Now, they had a couple of high-profile secondary transfers in the Clemson defensive back that committed a couple of weeks ago, and then you got the West Virginia transfer, Tyke Smith. You got some big guys coming to that side of the ball, but you're still looking a little bit not as sharp in the front seven when you're talking about Georgia. Now, they've recruited it great in the blue-chip ratio as evidenced by that, but what holds me back most about Georgia is the history and the fact that Kirby Smart hasn't gotten them over the hump and Alabama's the one team they just haven't been able to beat. Now, we've talked about this for the last couple weeks now. If there's going to be a year that Kirby Smart's going to do it, it's going to be this year because he finally has the offense and that's what he's been lacking. But now it makes you wonder, is the defense regressed this year to a point, which I imagine I think we, we would think that it gets a little bit worse with everything that they lost, has it regressed to a point where that holds them back? I want to take an NBA analogy for this. When LeBron was in the East, LeBron was going to the finals. I don't care how good the Bucks, the Hawks, the, the Nets, anybody else could have been in the East at the time. I don't care how good they were. They weren't beating LeBron James. They weren't. LeBron was in the finals every single year. You know who the LeBron is in the SEC? It's Alabama. And right now it hasn't mattered. Well, specifically it's Nick Saban. It's like once he leaves Alabama, then it opens the door for everybody else, in my opinion. Uh, something else I want to mention about Georgia before we move on to, I think LSU is the next, and that's going to be fun. But it, as far as Georgia is concerned, they do need secondary help. You look at their their defensive statistics last year. They were first in the country overall in rushing yards allowed per game, 72.3 there. But they were 88th nationally in passing yards per game allowed, 2487 Based on what I'm looking at right now on Athlon, they only have one starter returning in that secondary, and obviously they're bringing in talent, but it's talent that has not been productive at their university. So if there's one flaw on on this roster, I think it's got to be secondary. I trust these receivers. I trust bringing in guys like Eric Gilbert to shine. I really like what I have in my offensive line and JT Daniels and Samir White. The offense is going to click. It's going to score points. The question is whether or not this secondary can keep them in some of these big-time games against teams like Clemson, Florida, and Alabama. It's a little bit thinner than normal, but I still you got you to take into account the, the transfers that are coming in, right? It's Clemson all-conference transfer for the last couple of years and the Tyke Smith from West Virginia. I'm a little bit probably more concerned about the front seven, mainly from a pass-rushing perspective because Georgia's coming at you from a 3-4 scheme. And we've seen, statistically, there have been some years, and I think back to the late 2010s. I don't know why I said that weird. 2010s. I said, hey, I said that in a very country accent. I, don't, I, meant, I was somewhere in between teens and 10s. I don't know why I was there. But Way back yonder, back in my day. In the 2010s, late 2010s, there were some Georgia was having a hard time getting a pass rush. They weren't averaging towards the top half of the SEC in sacks per game, but they were able to get some pressure on. You just weren't able to convert that to sacks. They were great at stopping the run, though, and that was what they needed 
Georgia reached elite levels because they were able to get a pass rush and actually convert that to sacks over the last couple of seasons. So I'm wondering if that takes a step back this year by virtue of the scheme. Sometimes it can be hard to get a pass rush out of the 3-4. That's why you're blitzing the linebackers, but sometimes it can be it can be tough, especially on younger units in this league. So I'm probably a little bit more skeptical of the front seven being so young than I am about the secondary, especially with the the imports that they have of those positions out of the transfer portal. But let's take a quick break here. When we come back, we talk about four other SEC teams, some other teams that were included in this blue chip ratio for 2021 that are considered national championship contenders according to 24-7 sports. You are on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Daw. We'll be right back. You're on the line with Noah Gardner and Lance Dawn, ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Call in at 334-321-1390. We're taking your calls. Once again, 334-321-1390. Here on the Tuesday edition of On the Line, we want to hear from you. Going through 24-7 sports, blue chip ratio for 2021. These 16 teams, according to 24-7 sports, your national champion will come from these 16 teams, which... I think we could all say that probably your national champion will come from four teams, maybe. I think we could condense that group. But I want to talk about the SEC teams in specific and gauge how close we think they are to winning a national title this year. We went through the main two contenders, Alabama and Georgia. Let's go down the list a little bit. LSU is the third highest SEC team on this list at a 66% blue chip ratio. Give me a ranking on LSU here, five being the closest to winning a national title that they could be or one being the furthest away i'm gonna give it a two that's where i'm at i would give it a two if this if if you looked at this roster and you looked at this blue chip ratio and this was coming after the joe burrow 2019 season i'd have it a little bit higher because you see all the production that comes back but that 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 obviously didn't happen in 2019 and and there was a gap there between some really good coaches, some really bad coaches, and now some unknown coaches, both offensively and defensively. I'm talking about the coordinators. They bring back a lot of production on offense, and they bring back uh, a lot of production on defense for a team that that couldn't stop a nosebleed. Uh, but it 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 doesn't add up to national title contention unless these coordinators and these coaches can get these players right because they got the talent on roster. I mean, blue chip ratio proves it. They got 66% of their of their players are, are blue chips. It, 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 the it's only 1% there. less than Clemson. Right. The talent is there. It's just can this coaching staff get it together, and you and I have talked about this a lot on this show, and I just don't think that Ed Ogeron or these new coordinators, who honestly, if I, if I asked you who they were, they, you probably wouldn't be able to tell me. But it, they, At one point I could. I think Jake Peets is the offensive coordinator, and he was the Carolina Panthers, like, what, assistant quarterbacks coach last year? Yeah, that'll get you to a national title. <laughs> I don't know who the defensive coordinator is. I'll say that, and LSU will win another one this year. But in all seriousness, they've got the talent. It's just I don't think the coaching staff can get them there. They just fired their offensive line coach, too, like right. within the past two or three weeks. So They bring back all five starters. How quickly is a new offensive line coach going to be able to – install whatever he wants to do with these guys that have been in the system for so long i'll say this they're certainly talented like you mentioned but with all of the distractions in baton rouge things look like they're falling apart rather than coming together for ed orgeron the 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 perspective from the outside 
seems to be, yes, they're talented, but are things coming together or are they, or are they disintegrating? Are they, are they falling apart? Are they, is it, is it disseminating in different directions? Are they, are they, are they, are they coming together as a team or are, and are they putting all these pieces together talent wise or do they continue to say step, stay separated? And I'm more on the side that they are separating rather than coming together because for me, there are so many questions going into this season, not just off the field, but on the field for LSU. I don't care about the, the talent at this point. I don't know if this coaching staff has shown us a track record, especially Ed Orgeron's history as a head coach, period. When you have began to see things fall apart for Ed Orgeron, they fell apart. He didn't save it. Right. This is exactly why I think Nick Saban is the LeBron James of the SEC, and it's not Alabama as a whole, because coaching staff plays a large part in a team's success overall. You can get the talent, but if you don't have somebody to coach them, they're not going to play well. You, you can get all the talent in the world, but if you don't have somebody that can lead them on and off the field and get them schematically right to the point where they can compete with these with these blue bloods, they're not going to. And when you look at a guy like Ogeron, who was able to get the right guys on his staff in 2019, he was able to do that. Those guys are gone. And until I see somebody step up and do that again, which I don't believe either of these coordinators are going to be able to, I, I don't see them competing for a national title because it starts with, with, with Ed, and I don't see him as a national title coach. We really haven't seen much from him as a program sustainer. Now, he has been at LSU since 16, which is going to put him up there in terms of longest tenures of the SEC, considering how coaches go out of style so quickly at a lot of these universities. But at Ole Miss, when things fell apart, things fell apart, and he was out in three years. Now, he was great at he was great at being an interim at USC, but then he was out and left USC and went to be LSU's defensive line coach. And then he was a solid interim at LSU. And then things aligned quickly for him, and Joe Burrow wins a national championship. But my question still goes to, can he sustain the success at LSU? And before Joe Burrow, if Joe Burrow's year doesn't happen, I think Orgeron's gone by now. Right. Everything that's been going off the field probably is enough for, for, for the university maybe to cut him, cut him loose. Right. I don't think it's I don't think it's Ogeron that that makes this program click. I think it's the coordinators and the guys that he has around them because I don't trust him specifically to keep this program consistently in the hunt for a playoff berth. So I I, I would I would put it at a two simply because these coordinators and the guys around Ogeron are are unknown to me. The talent gets him up to a two for yes. me, but everything else has him pulled down to a two. I guess Florida Florida's the next team. Mm, this is this is this is a good one. I would put it. I'm gonna give you a hot take here. I'm gonna put it at three. <laughs> I'm gonna put it at three. We're we're in vastly different directions. Tell me why three. I think it's I think it's three because I trust I trust Dan Mullen's ability to get his teams right. The question is is whether or not they can get over the hump, and that hump being Georgia in the in the East. Uh, I I see more potential in a team like Florida than I do in LSU. So I'd put it at two and a half or a three i trust the coaching staff more that's fair which may be contradictory to what i just did with lsu at two but maybe by virtue of it i've seen lsu win a national championship more recently and maybe that had a little bit to do with it but i've got florida at one florida has to play the top two contenders in the sec 
in the regular season. They got Alabama in like game three. And my thing is, you got to play Alabama and you got to play Georgia. They haven't shown the ability to beat either of these teams on a consistent basis. When was the last time that Florida beat Alabama? And actually, you know, uh, when was the last time that Florida didn't get blown out by Alabama aside from last year's SEC title game? And it was trending in a bad direction early. It was uh, not a good second half for Alabama, that SEC title game either. But in majority of the games that Florida has played against Alabama in recent memory, it has not gone well. It has not gone well at all. And they have looked inept on the offensive side of the ball. And you could see something like that this year, despite Dan Mullen's ability to make quarterbacks better. He's a quarterback whisperer, despite the fact that he could develop Emory Jones into being a solid SEC quarterback and a top four SEC quarterback at that this year. I'm still just not certain that this Florida team is going to be able to beat Alabama and Georgia for the fact that historically they have shown us the inability to do that. And this year, after having lost so much from last year's team, they only returned nine starters across the entire football team. They've shown us the complete opposite of being able to consistently win against these schools. That's why I've got them at a one. I'm I'm like I'm I'm like most certain that that Florida is not going to win a national championship this year out of many of the other teams in the SEC. Just so young, and they are going to be more about figuring things out this year rather than actually being in a place where Alabama, Georgia have a lot of their things figured out at least on one side of the ball for both of those teams, whereas Florida is going to be figuring things out on both sides of the ball. Those two opponents, it's it's not just about Georgia now for Florida. It's about both of those teams. Right, and the reason I put Florida above LSU is because they both are in similar boats as far as talent goes. Again, I just trust this coaching staff more. So if I, if you were to ask me who, makes a na- who wins the national title this year, Florida or LSU, I'd probably go with Florida. I just trust this yep. coaching staff more. Something else I do want to point out, a, a point in your corner, the last time that Florida scored more than 21 points against Alabama outside of this year's SEC championship game was 2008. They've lost it was the last every, time Florida beat them. Too. This is the last time Florida beat them. They've lost every single game against Alabama since then. So that that that's mainly the point that I'm trying to make is why I feel confident that they are that they're a one on this list for me as far as furthest away from winning a title. The 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 strength of schedule this year for Florida is just too difficult in the SEC for for I think them to overcome it. And we are nearing a break here, so let's let's table A and M and Auburn for when we come back. Which I think these are going to be some fun discussions. Which I kind of view A and M in the same light as Florida. I think it's SEC West version of Florida, if you will. And, and I have a surprising take on Auburn as well. Then I think uh, a decent amount of people will like. Really quick, out of all of these SEC teams in the top ten, which oh, these non-SEC teams, which one do you think is the most likely to get to the national title this year? And I'm talking about Ohio State, Clemson, Oklahoma, Texas. I really like this Oklahoma team. Big part of that is they return so much on both sides of the football. They have their quarterback situation figured out. Clemson definitely is a lot further along in that category than Ohio State, who will be starting a true freshman that has not played at all. So I think that I, I would give Clemson and Oklahoma the edge between those three teams and then it comes down to how good is DJ Ungalele. It's interesting that Texas has all this talent and they show out in bowl games, but they can't do it in the regular season. Let's see if Sark can change that. That's so true. Texas is right there on that list, right underneath them. We'll be back to take the last 30 minutes of the show here on On the Line. You're listening on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Stay on the line. More of the show when we come back. 30 minutes left 
On the Tuesday edition of On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama talking about 24-7 sports blue chip ratio and assessing each of the SEC teams in that top 16 group of teams in college football that could win a national championship in 2021 according to 24-7 sports. We've looked at Alabama, we've looked at Georgia, LSU, Florida. we got A&M and Auburn to talk about here, the other teams to make it into that category. A&M had a blue chip ratio at 61%. I believe they sit at 10th in the 24-7 sports blue chip ratio rankings on a scale of one to five five being the closest to win a title one being the furthest away how close is A&M to winning a natty in 2021 I would put it uh I want to put it at three I'm gonna put it at three I don't want to put it at four because I feel like that's way too close but I'd put it at three and a lot of it revolves around this quarterback position the defense has figured itself out they're returning nine starters on a team that gave up 21 or 21 points per game that's good enough for me this offense needs to be able to figure out a new quarterback whoever that's going to be it's probably going to be Haynes King need to be able to figure that out in order for them to compete for a national title this season but if they do I could see I could see them taking the west I've got A&M at a one I said that I had him in the same boat as Florida and that's because historically when did these when, when was the last time these guys beat Alabama what was that all the way back to 2012 all the way back to Johnny Manziel yeah they needed Johnny Manziel to beat Alabama they barely did it back then these guys don't look pretty when they play Alabama and on their schedule this year unfortunately for them they don't have to play Georgia and I think they did they have to play Georgia last year was that on their schedule they did not okay they had to play Florida last year though and on this year's schedule they don't have to play Florida which is fortunate for them but I I, I look at it and I'm, I'm, I say historically has this team ever done it and what confidence do I have this year that they can do it with their entire offensive line barring one starter gone they have one guy coming back in the O-line and a true freshman quarterback. This team is extremely close to 7-5 and five for me, despite what everybody says about recruiting and, man, they're getting close. Look at what they did last year. Last year was the year where everything came together for Jimbo Fisher. Last year was the year. He had the offensive line. He had the receivers. He had the running back. He had the four-year quarterback that has a billion statistics because he's been playing for four seasons. He had the top 10 defense in the country. He had all that or I should say top 10 defense. He had he was number 28 nationally in scoring defense in the SEC, though. He was top three, and then he was top two in, in rushing and passing category. So he was still right there. In total defense nationally, he was top 10 in yards per game allowed, not scoring defense, excuse me. So he still had a top 10 defense in yards allowed per game. He had all of that last year, and he still gets beat by Alabama 52-24. to 24. I don't see where the five losses are on the schedule because you look at the teams that they play before they play Alabama at home, and I agree with you historically they've not been able to get it done, but it is st- it's still at home. That has to mean something. Kent State, Colorado, New Mexico, Arkansas, Mississippi State are the games that they have to play before they faced Alabama. They're 5-0 and going into the Alabama game. At Missouri, South Carolina, Auburn, at Ole Miss, Prairie View A&M, and then at LSU. I can see three losses on that schedule potentially, but I, I can see this team going 10-2 and two, realistically, losing to Alabama and maybe losing to Auburn or LSU, depending on what happens. One of those three, Auburn, Ole Miss, or LSU. Certainly a favorable schedule. Let me amend my statement then. I think that talent-wise, they're probably a lot closer to your prototypical five-loss team in the SEC. If Auburn had this, where would you pro- – if Auburn had A&M right now, 
Where what would you what would you think? Auburn if Auburn had AM schedule? No, roster. What if, would you think? Like if Auburn was breaking in a new quarterback in a brand new offensive line, what would you think? With Auburn's schedule? Right. Which AM and Auburn's schedule is virtually the same barring Penn State and Colorado. Where would I put them as far as national like, title goes? No, I'm saying what would you project Auburn to do? You would project Auburn probably five or six losses. I don't think well, with with Auburn's schedule, yes, but A and M schedule is, is is favorable. So as far as like close to a national title, I understand the talent may not necessarily be there, and they may get by on an easy schedule. But I think they're closer than 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 Florida is, and I think they're closer than a couple of these other teams here, like LSU. And so, and, and the direction that I'm trying to take this is yes, they do have that favorable schedule, but just because the rec the record may look great at the end, just because maybe they do only have three losses at the end. I think that they may be one of the worst three-loss teams in the country when you're talking about them at the end of the year. But I can see them dropping several games in SEC play outside Alabama. I could see them losing all the road at Missouri. We've talked about that game being a major game for Missouri in terms of trying to elevate their position in the East. I can see them losing to Auburn. I can see them losing to Ole Miss. I can see them losing to LSU at the end of the year. Those Ole Miss and LSU games on the road, the schedule gets substantially more difficult once they get in the thick of SEC play in that Alabama game I think they're closer than LSU in Florida I think they're closer than Auburn right now to winning a national championship to winning a national championship this year I think they're closer they're not they're not they're not on the level that Georgia and Alabama are but I think at the end of the day they're the third closest team in the SEC as far as blue chip ratio goes what I like well they're only like how much much higher percentage are they in blue chip ratio than Auburn than Auburn it's 61 to 56 all right so not that much higher in blue chip and then LSU's at 66 percent right now and Florida or LSU's at 67 and Florida's at 66 percent so recruiting wise there is a slight edge to those other two teams I like LSU and Auburn more I like the quarterback situations more at both of those schools that's a big part of it defensively A&M has the edge on both of those schools I like the, believe it or not, I kind of like the offensive lines more at both of those schools, mainly because LSU and Auburn bring back five starters on their offensive line, and A&M's bringing back one. That that enough, the, the offensive line and the quarterback issue at A&M is enough for me to be like, these guys are going to lose a game or two that they should not lose. I don't know. I, I, don't, I don't see them losing to Missouri. I don't see them losing to South Carolina. I can see them losing to Ole Miss. The worst I can see them going is, is eight and four and losing to a team that I just don't see them lo- the, like uh, nine and three or ten and two right now would be my projection and then uh, the this the 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 floor eight and four even with a even with a freshman quarterback I, I trust this coaching staff and it give it time and I think moving moving down the line I know we're talking about just twenty twenty one I think you you look f- into the future with a guy like Hans King if he's going to be your starter look into the future there could be some bright seasons ahead for the Texas A&M Aggies but back to 2021 I I think they're I think they're more likely to win a title this year than LSU I think they're more likely to win a title this year uh, uh, ahead of Florida and right now I'd put them ahead of Auburn just simply because I've seen more from from them and with a vastly different roster though right like this is a new year they've they're they're so different in that roster makeup Auburn's also in a new year with a new head coach and a new scheme on both the offensive and defensive side of the football it's Mm -hmm. and Texas A&M has historically been been recruiting just a little bit better than Auburn but they still they've got that coaching staff in place they bring in new players talked earlier it's like it's not just the players that make it happen it's the coaching staff as well 
Auburn's an unknown. So again, like right now, I think Texas A&M is, a, is in a better spot. But we could see halfway through the season, Auburn could be much better than Texas A&M because the quarterback position may fall apart. It's just a lot of unknowns. But what we do know is that A&M's coaching staff it, it, it is, it has solidified itself in the Southeastern Conference, and Auburn is an unknown. So I'm just, I, would, I would stick to my guns and say... Is one year enough of Jimbo Fisher going 9-1 and one enough for you to say that they are... They're here to stay for a long, long time. Like, is that enough to say that they're going to actually get them over the hump? Because we talk about recent history, the team that's actually done it in the SEC is Auburn. Auburn's gone to an SEC championship. A&M has not. I think it shows promise. But again, it, 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 going nine and one for one year it gives me enough confidence to say that they're more favored to win the or for win the national title over LSU, Florida, and Auburn because all those teams are dealing with issues respectively. Um, so I'm not saying Texas A&M's like, uh, like I'm not saying that they will compete for the sure. national title this year. Um, Auburn, it it just depends on what we see halfway through the season. There are a lot of unknowns, but as of right now, like in this moment, I think I think A&M's got the edge. But we could see two or three weeks into the season, especially if Auburn goes on the road and beats LSU and Penn State, we could be like, oh, oh, this coaching staff's legit. Oh, like they 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 could be as good as Georgia, and then we get to that week four, or five or six matchup against Georgia, and with Auburn, we could we could see the SEC shift in a direction that most people may not think it will. So I go back to Kellen Mond's freshman season at Texas A and M back in 2017, and A and M went seven and six, and they had a favorable start to their schedule, similar similar to this A and M team. It's, it, when you look at the, who they played, they opened up at UCLA, lost. Then they beat Nickel State, Louisiana, Arkansas, and South Carolina, all four of those teams in a row, got out to 4-1, and one, and then they got into the SEC schedule, lost to Alabama. They came back and beat Florida, surprising victory there, were able to beat Florida, and then lost some games that they probably shouldn't have lost, lost to Mississippi State, they lost to Auburn, they beat New Mexico, beat Ole Miss, lost to LSU, and then lost to Wake Forest in their bowl game to fall to 7-6, and six. and it wasn't pretty. They had their games that year where they showed promise, but it wasn't pretty. And so my big thing about A&M, with a quarterback that has only thrown four pass attempts in his career and a brand-new offensive line, there's going to be growing pains. And with those growing pains, they produce unnatural losses on a schedule to teams that we wouldn't expect them to lose to. But if you catch a team on the wrong day, like a South Carolina, somebody like that, yeah, I'm not projecting Texas A&M to lose to them. But I'm, I'm, I'm going to say of the group of teams, of these teams, that I'm like, nah, they're probably not going to lose to them. They will lose to at least one of those teams. I might be wrong, and that's com- that's completely fair. But I might be wrong, but A&M, I don't think, like had a legitimate defense back whenever Kellen Mond was, was breaking in as Texas A&M starting quarterback. It's also a fair point. And also, like, like you mentioned earlier, A&M doesn't have to play like an incredibly tough schedule. They don't play a team like Florida this year. You look at their schedule, they should be, all, all, all things considered, they should be five and zero heading into that Alabama game. Again, I'm not saying that they're going to win the title. I'm saying they're just Auburn is just as talented, if not more talented, just depending on what we see three or four weeks into the season. But like it's it's it works out for them to be closer at the end of the year than Auburn, at least on paper right now. So I I want to take this now to talk about Auburn then, since that, since that's the direction we're going, and I think Auburn's closer to winning a national championship this year than A and M is. 
because the roster, although yes, we talk about the coaching staff changing. When does that matter for Auburn, though, <laughs> with the coaching staff changing? Gene Chizik won a national championship within two years. Malzahn took him to a national title in his first year. So historically, and sure, you can say that's flash in the pan stuff for Auburn, but historically at Auburn, it, there have been some really great first-year results for coaches that have come into the Plains and have turned things around rather quickly. So I, for Auburn, we've seen them do it. a we haven't. Auburn's roster is a whole lot more complete going into the year than Texas A&M's is. When you look at the quarterback position, they at least have someone with experience. The offensive line, they at least have an offensive line with experience. The receivers are gone. A&M's got the edge there. Auburn's got the edge at running back with Tank Bigsby over Isaiah Spiller. And then the defensive side of the ball, yes, A&M was a, was a top 10 defense nationally in yards allowed per game. But you imagine that Auburn's defense is going to get a lot better this year with everything that you've got coming back. I'll give A&M the edge on defense, but I don't think it's so much further of an edge that it makes up for the gap of where I think these two teams might be offensively this year. I expect Auburn to turn around on the offensive side of the ball. If I was was to give Auburn a rating out of five as to how close they are to winning a title, I'd give it a two and a half. I've got them at two. I've got them at two, but I do have A&M at one. <laughs> I, I would put it at a two and a half. And whenever you look at this roster, obviously they do bring back a lot of production, but that production didn't produce last year. They went six and five, and statistically they were not impressive in in any category and you could and a lot of that I believe attributes to the coaching staff and so that's what I come back to is this coaching staff is an unknown to me I don't know what they're going to do in year one and you 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 couple A&M their defensive coordinator and their 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 scheme and having Jimbo back for another year and you've got all that talent returning on the defense I think that's going to carry them through some of these games that they didn't get past whenever they went eight and five eight and five eight and five three years in a row Whenever you look at a team like Auburn, they have all the potential in the world because that talent is there, even though they didn't produce in 2020. But I just don't know what this coaching staff is going to do yet. If we get three weeks into the season and Auburn's beaten Penn State and is offensively just like showing out, I would I would then immediately say like, oh, well, Auburn should beat Texas A&M even if it is on the road. I think they're a better, they're closer than to winning a national title than the Aggies would be at that point. Maybe I... Maybe I'm a whole lot more confident in this coaching staff, but what I see is Auburn made a change with their head coach, and they brought in Brian Harson because they believe in the vision that he sold them. And whether that's here or there, you made a change because you believe that this coach was going to do better at taking you there than Malzahn was, right? Right. And so I'm erring on the side that Auburn is going to – get over the hump now more times than they did under Malzahn because that's that's what they're buying into with Harson, right and his track record at Boise State and yes it is at Boise State suggests that he's a winner and the way that he talks he's he's got this vision to him and this confidence I like that and we've heard a lot of positive things coming out of the program with the change in the culture and whatnot it is definitely a fair criticism in terms of predictions to say we just don't know what this coaching staff is going to do yet in the SEC. But I'm going to err on the side of predicting, and I'm looking at the rosters, a lot of this, and, I'm, and I'm, I understand I, I trust the coaching staff, even though we haven't seen them coach yet, because they made this decision knowing that things have to get better, that they can't get this one wrong. And looking at the rosters, I favor Auburn's to A&M right now. And so, and, and you even look at the A&M-Auburn game last year. Auburn was very much so in the ball game if not in control of the ball game for a decent portion of it until you got about midway through the third quarter and then everything fell apart and AM only won by 11 
and now had to do with the coaching staff, in my opinion. Right, and now Auburn, you hope, got better, right? right. So, like, you'd hope that that got better, that you're actually going to be able to make in-game adjustments, that things aren't going to fall apart. Also, morale maybe had something to do with it. Once Zacoby McClain didn't have that interception and Weidermeyer caught it off of his hands, you're thinking, oh, here we go. And you can kind of see that on the players' faces as well when they were going back to the sideline. But still, and I've talked about this in the same light as LSU and, and A&M and Ole Miss and some of these other opponents that Auburn's got on their schedule. And going back to the prediction that I made where I said Auburn's going to win at least eight games this year, if not more, it's when I compare Auburn's roster to everybody else's, if anything, Auburn's roster got better this year for me in every single category except for one position group, and that's wide receiver. And I can give ground on that because I think those guys will improve as the year progresses. But a lot of these other teams, they got worse. They went into they went in the other direction. LSU went in another direction. AM went in another direction. Ole Miss went in another direction. Some of these other teams regressed a little bit in terms of what I see on their roster, or at least what I'm predicting on their roster for this upcoming year. And I'm like, how are people all of a sudden in some of these projections saying Auburn's going to lose to LSU now? Did LSU get 31 points better? Did LSU get 30 points better? Did AM hold on did, did the 11 point gap in a and between a and m and auburn not close over the span of the year i think it closed did did the the gap between auburn and Ole miss stay the same or close i think across several of the games on auburn's schedule i think some of the gaps widened or if not stayed the same right and and again that's why i keep going back to like right now i would put a and m over sure. auburn because you just want to see him take the field i do want i think i i, I hope as an Auburn fan, that Auburn will be better. And, and I, as a fan, I expect them to be better than AM than M this year. But just on paper right now, I, I would put A&M over Auburn. But once they take the field after that first couple of weeks, that'll give me all I need to know. And I'm assuming right now that three weeks into the season, Auburn will be better. We're going to take a quick break here. And when we come back, we will wrap up the Tuesday edition of On the Line here on ESPN 106.7 at Fox Sports Central Alabama. On the line on Fox Sports Central Alabama on 98.3 FM and ESPN 106.7. Back on On the Line, Noah Gardner and Lance Dahl with you. Got about three minutes until we get out of here, and then it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. Before we get out of here, let's take a listen to what's on TV tonight. Hey everybody, it's Noah Gardner with What's On Tonight. Could you build a Lego structure strong enough to withstand an earthquake? Find out which teams achieve the task on a new episode of Lego Masters on Fox at 7. Movie selections for tonight, Gone in 60 Seconds is on AMC at 7. Toss it back to 1989 with Disney's The Little Mermaid at 7 on Freeform. Everyone's favorite Transformer, Bumblebee, is on FX at 6.30. Over on Paramount at 6, you can catch Raiders of the Lost Ark. In live sports, one NBA game is on on TV with Game 5 of a tied series between the Milwaukee Bucks and the Brooklyn Nets at 7.30 on TNT. NHL playoff action, the New York Islanders took a close Game 1 against the Tampa Bay Lightning to go up 1-0 in the series. Game 2 of the Stanley Cup semifinal is in Tampa Bay at 7 on NBCSN. In the MLB, the Chicago Cubs are at the New York Mets at 6 on ESPN. The U.S. Tokyo Olympic trials continue with the Day 3 finals and swimming on NBC at 7. I'm Noah Gardner, and that's what's on TV tonight. 
Got about two minutes left in the Tuesday edition of On the Line, and then it'll be the drive with Bill Cameron and Dan Peck. They'll be taking your calls. Number to call, 334-321-1390. When their show, show rolls around, we are going to shut down the phone lines for our last two minutes because I don't know if we'll be able to squeeze another one in here. But it's been a solid show. And if you missed any of it, go and find the podcast wherever you get your podcast. Talked a lot about the college football landscape in terms of Auburn recruiting across the country and what are the likely what is the likelihood that they actually land some of these national prospects outside of the southeast what do we think of that recruiting philosophy and then for pretty much the entire second hour we talked about the legitimacy and how close some of these sec teams are to winning a national championship in comparison to 247 sports blue chip ratio yeah and i i it's it's been a really good show as far as like discourse goes and i think there's a lot of different ways to look at what we've talked about today as far as recruiting goes again i think it's a really good philosophy that auburn has going out and knowing that they can't win alabama the state of alabama year one they've got to be able to go out and get some other guys in this first 2022 class i think that's a fantastic philosophy again it's just the concern that i think a lot of auburn fans have but that i have is like well are they actually going to sign some of these guys like you mentioned earlier all these guys can get on campus and say that they had a good time and that the family atmosphere was incredible and it's a beautiful campus and you love what's going on but it's like at the end of the day if you don't get those guys to actually commit to your team and sign with you what does it matter right and so i i really really like the way that this coaching staff is going about things right now I know I talked in the last segment about how there's a lot of unknowns, but right now, like uh, over the summer, they're doing all the right things. They un- they they're saying the right things. They're doing the right things. They have a confidence about them. It's just whether or not it, the plan unfolds, and I'm just cautious because I just am. You don't want to get hurt again, right? I understand. I understand. I know a lot of Auburn people that way. <laughs> That's it for the Tuesday edition of On the Line. Drive with Bill Cameron coming up after us on ESPN 106.7 and Fox Sports Central Alabama. We'll be back with you tomorrow, same time, same place. You know where to find us.